Hi, everyone. Welcome to the July 23rd, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, there's, we, we've done this show, and that some of you know from the beginning, the early banter, it's going to be a good one. Uh, buckle up, folks. It's going to be a, a fun one uh, that's got a great panel tonight. Let's get going. Summer might be nearing an end. I hope it's not nearing an end. I'm just getting, barely getting used to it. But the coronavirus and the debates around it seem to be on the upswing in an effort to encourage the remainder of unvaccinated people in Colorado to receive vaccines. The state of Colorado will be offering a $100 Walmart gift card as an incentive. Meanwhile, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment released new coronavirus guidelines for schools that encourage but do not require the use of masks. Uh, Patty Cahoon from Westward, we've had lottery, we've had scholarships, we're now down to the Walmart gift card. I imagine extra punches on uh, slurping at some point. What is going to get the unvaccinated members of the Colorado population to finally say, okay, I'm ready? You would really think the message, get vaccinated and you won't die, would be enough. And we are hearing that message more and more because of the Delta variant and how easily transmitted it is, how deadly it has been for many people who weren't vaccinated, who represent, what, 95 percent of the people in the hospital now across the country with COVID and little kids who are getting it. You would think wanting to protect your children might be enough. And it's interesting. That's one of the reasons I think this Walmart move might help a little bit. If a mom who hasn't had time to get her 12-year-old vaccinated is going to Walmart, she can go. She can get that kid vaccinated, get $100. If she's not vaccinated, get $100. So maybe the convenience will help, especially with those younger people. At this point, though, you cannot imagine what it would take for older people who haven't been vaccinated to suddenly say, wow, that could be a good idea. Maybe I won't get COVID. Maybe I can continue on with my life and take care of my loved ones. But it's really extraordinary. If a million dollars didn't do it, if a hundred dollars isn't going to do it, maybe it's just death that will convince people. Uh, wondering what will convince people is certainly a good question. Eric Sonderman, columnist of the Denver Gazette and Colorado Politics. Uh, Eric, it's, I, I, I can't avoid being a little cynical about this, that if you're sitting there on the fence and worry about whether it's the science or just against everything else, but yeah, I was due for some shopping at Walmart, so why not? And and, and waiting for other, you know, uh, branding opportunities. I mean, we'll throw in a PBS 12 mug if that's what it's going to take, and we're happy to do it. But um, I, I don't know if it's going to be very effective, but at least I give them credit for trying. What do you think? I think they've missed the obvious play, toaster ovens. Bingo. If they would go to toaster <laughs> ovens, I think the vaccination rate uh, would would skyrocket around here. That's the, uh, the obvious play. Maybe a set of kitchen knives, too. Uh I'm with Patty. You know, if if potential death or potential being on a respirator in a hospital, not seeing your loved ones is not an incentive, uh, you know, is a lottery drawing, is 100 bucks at Walmart an incentive? I mean, if it works, great, more power to them. I think we have to acknowledge that there's very little indication that the million-dollar lottery drawings did anything to uh, accelerate the rate from any uh, any empirical analysis that was a, a a failed experiment we're at a dangerous new phase uh of this virus uh once again the virus is in charge we'd like to think public health officials are in charge politicians are in charge no the virus sets its own rules very much and the virus doesn't care about your political party affiliation the virus is calling the terms here the virus is now mutated into the delta variant 
If you are vaccinated, the odds are overwhelming. I mean, yes, there is a minor, minor chance you're going to get sick. Are you going to get sick enough that you end up in the hospital on a respirator at death's door? Not likely. Get vaccinated if you are not. Here, here. Uh, Penfield Tate, attorney with Tate Law, longtime state lawmaker. Um, Pen, I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing a little bit of a, a tide turn just when it comes to blame. Uh, the Alba- governor of Alabama started uh, basically saying, hey, it's time we start blaming unvaccinated people for the Delta variant. It's their fault. And we're, you can kind of see the switch going from please go get vaccinated to wait, now we're going to have problems because of this population. Um, Hopefully Colorado can rise above that, but we're all just human. Do you think we're going to see a little bit more emotion and blaming down the road? I think we will, and I think we've seen it. It's not just the governor of Alabama. I find it interesting that in in many of the places where the the Delta variant has really taken off has obviously been those states where the vaccination rate has been so low and often elected officials supported that whole sort of, you know, rage against the machine, don't get vaccinated. Uh, The problem is now they're finding out science is right. Um, This is really some dangerous stuff. And, And you talk about the Alabama governor. I think I saw the governor of Louisiana or maybe a mayor talking about the only thing that's going to make a difference now is a bunch of unvaccinated people just need to die. And then people will start getting vaccinated. Now, that's a sad story. But I think you're right, Dominic. I think that the elected officials in some of these communities aren't going to want to shoulder the blame. So they're going to say, we did everything we could do. We gave them toaster ovens. We gave them sets of knives and gift cards, and they still didn't get vaccinated. Now they're responsible for the pandemic. Ed C. Lever, senior reporter with the Denver Business Journal. Ed, I'm wondering, I got to believe there's a lot of businesses that are on pins and needles right now because if they were able to get through that chasm of uh, difficult times of, the, of COVID and the lockdown, and now if there's potential mask mandates on the horizon, there's potential other problems that could be caused by the unvaccinated, do businesses now need to figure out, hey, we need to get involved so we can actually make sure that we don't get hurt again? They've seen, they've seen the real damage. They don't want that to happen. But I don't know what kind of power they have. Are, are you sensing more urgency from businesses? Absolutely. In fact, I just wrote about this this morning. I mean, if you look at the, the Walmart gift card giveaway, that's, that's Walmart. This is a corporation who probably a lot of the anti-vaxxers trust, who has put $100,000 into giving away gift cards. The state's paying for the other 900000 But $100,000 uh, for people come to, to its clinic uh, to, uh, to get vaccines. Um, yesterday, or two days ago, the governor announced the community college scholarship program that is fully funded by Amazon. I mean, we're seeing it even in an area like Grand Junction. I talked to the Grand Junction Chamber of Commerce director who pointed out that um, Coors Tech out there is is entering all of its vaccinated employees in a drawing for a mountain bike. And there's a bar out there called Cruisers that's flat out paying workers $250 uh, to get vaccinated. I think businesses realize they do need to step up. And I think it's a good thing because, frankly, one of the, the chasms that we see now is the lack of trust in government from the unvaccinated. And that's not just the, the conservatives here. That's including a lot of the minority groups who are more liberally minded, but don't trust government for other reasons. So I think what you have to do now is have someone other than government come forward and say, OK, we really need you to do this. Maybe that's not going to get a huge population, but maybe there are some people who say, oh, OK, this is serious. My favorite store is willing to pay me to get vaccinated. I'll think about it. It's at least a step that we've got to try. 
More changes are brewing for the city of Denver. The city council has made some decisions and proposals just in time for this year's State of the City address from Mayor Michael Hancock. Meanwhile, Mayor Hancock is celebrating his 10th year as mayor, and the city has hired its first ever urban design planner. Uh, Eric, as we go to you, a lot of angles in this one between uh, 10 years for Mayor Hancock, the city council making decisions. Uh, Take your pick. I'm going to be curious how Mayor Hancock starts his state of the city speech. What is, you know, at the end of the year around this table, we always pick one word to describe the year. Uh, I don't think Mayor Hancock will necessarily copycat us, but what would that one word be uh, if he were to do that? Uh, I would suggest the one word is unsettled. The state of Denver is very unsettled these days. Uh, Yes, uh, a significant element of that has to do with COVID and with the 15 or 18 months that the city has been through, but I don't think you can lay it all on COVID's door. Uh, And to drive around Denver these days is not always a pretty picture. Homeless encampments, traffic, even though, you know, a lot more people are working from home than before the case, traffic is again ramped back up. You're not getting where you want to go, et cetera, et cetera. For my money, I continue to be an advocate that third terms tend to be poison. Um, I'd say that about my mentor, Dick Lamb, uh, as governor, Roy Romer. Uh, I could go on. Uh, if you can't get it done in eight years, you're probably out of gas. I don't know that the final term of the Hancock administration is going to go down in history as a terribly notable term. The attention very, very quickly here as we enter Mayor Hancock's last two years is going to be on the next mayoral election, on what's next. That is a subject for a different day, but it's going to become the subject pretty quickly. Uh, ben, it seems, I mean, we still, as a form of government in the city of Denver, it is still a strong mayor, but we've seen the council make headway with both uh, initiatives that have been approved by the voters and by their own inertia of getting a little bit more of their hands on the wheel, uh, so to speak. Do you think that we'll see a greater influence of council moving forward, at least in an unofficial way? I think we'll see an attempt, and I think where you where you let off is a good example. And, and a minor correction: the city hasn't hired the new head of urban planning. They have announced they are going to start the process to look for one. Good correction. Ten years after the fact, and when they describe the fact that we need this head of urban planning, someone who could look thirty years into the future to tell us what we need to be as a city, had they started ten years ago, you'd be a third of the way into the future you hope and aspire to have. We've got the gentrification that's just disturbing neighborhoods throughout the city, development on steroids. We've got all these ugly buildings. There's a rush to pave and develop every square foot of the city. I'm involved in a battle now regarding the the old Park Hill golf course and the desire to take 155 pristine acres and pave it all over. Uh, And now the city talks about, and, and I like this quote, we need someone who can lift their head and help us lift all lift our heads and think about what the future uh, place is for us. They're just now going to start talk, thinking about the future place 10 years later. Eric's right. It's, it's 10 years too late. Um, and it just shows how much time has been wasted by not focusing on the need to have a quality of life that reflects the aspirations of the people in the city. It's too little, too late. And by the time they select the person, they're going to have a year and then the next mayor is going to get rid of them. And um, downtown Denver is not all of Denver, but I think it's an easy symbol of, you know, where we're at. And downtown Denver's had some difficulties. I've got to believe as if businesses are looking at 
urban design planning uh, that that could change a whole lot for businesses in, in positive or negative ways. Um, do, do you think there's going to want to be some greater influence, whether from chambers of commerce or their businesses, to uh, be sure it's all going to actually work out the right way? Yeah, I think I think you're already starting to see that. I mean, one of the things you you can't help but notice uh, as you walk through downtown is the number of businesses that aren't there anymore. I mean, and we are admittedly we have gone through a brutal 16 months, but we should be in full-on recovery phase at this point. Um, and, 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 and I think it's almost symbolic that Visit Denver is, is papering over the windows of the empty businesses with ads about how wonderful Denver is. This is what they did for the All-Star Game to make sure that our many out-of-town visitors didn't notice all our vacancies. Um, but, but papering over is something we can't do anymore. It's, it's, I think businesses are going to have to get involved. They're going to have to say, look, here are our problems. And, and, and frankly, that is going to clash once again with some of the other minds in the city. One of the business's biggest problems is, hey, how about we clear out the homeless encampments that get in the way of commerce and people moving around downtown, uh, where you have uh, another part of the, the city coming along and saying, no, no, they should be everywhere. Um, so it's, uh, I, I, I don't know. If I were Hancock, I'm not sure how I would, uh, going back to Eric's point, uh, start off my, um, uh, my next speech. But I would think that this should be a call for action, that if, 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 if the last year was a year of getting by, it's time to turn it around and it's time to get back to action. And I think the city is starting to notice that, but it needs to kick it up more. Patty, I think I'd be in a large group of people anxiously anticipating the Calhoun urban planning uh, suggestions, but uh, maybe that's not on your radar. What are you thinking? Oh, we think about it all the time. I have to say, they're right. It's 10 years too late for this. And I think people are suddenly coming out of their COVID um, hibernation. And they're looking not just downtown. They're looking at Tennyson Street. They're looking at this stretch of Welton, where we are. They're looking at what the hell happened? Because they didn't pay attention maybe to how some of the zoning changes were going, what Main Street zoning was allowing, how close people could build to the sidewalks, how big people could build on a lot, how high they could build. If you go down Welton Street now, it is like a canyon. There is nothing charming about the Harlem of the West. You don't see any of the original heritage. If you go to Tennyson Street, which was once this wonderful little neighborhood shopping area filled with mom-and-pop real. Uh, retailers, you now see these same monolithic buildings you see in Rhino, full of apartment complexes. Denver is rapidly losing its charm, and it's because we didn't stop 10 years ago and say, let's think about what's happening. We had opportunities in the recession of 2008 when Denver was actually doing much better than the rest of the country. But still, there was time to say, okay, how are we going to develop now when developers really start coming in and doing projects? And what we see are these huge apartment complexes that are not lovely and are going to be really unlovely two years from now when Hancock leaves office. I think about, when you talk about that, Patty, the, some of the best places in Boston are the places that have looked the same for years. And uh, the North End's a great example. They were able to have the big dig and get rid of the highway. But you can uh, walk through North End 20 years ago, walk through it a couple years ago, and uh, the, the streets looked the same, and it was the most popular part of the city. So there's uh, something to be said for how places look. You can look. add new. I mean, I live in Lohi, which is one of the booming parts of town, and there is still some charming. There's still elements there that are lovely. Mm-hmm. 
The Colorado AFL-CIO, who represents over 180 unions, announced a moratorium on donations to the Colorado Democratic Party until next May, stating that they've been excluded from caucuses and other decision-making processes. Uh, Penn, this is usually the kind of stuff you see be, or you don't see behind closed doors. Uh, it's a little bit more public now, so meant for some impact, I think, again, uh, behind closed doors. I don't think the, the average voter is going to feel this, but... Seeing the Colorado Democratic Party and a major union fight like this a year before some pretty, you know, pretty big primaries was surprising. What do you think? You know, something must be in the air because when the legislative session ended this year, probably two or three days later, there was this internal battle within the Republican House caucus to try to overthrow its leadership and get someone else in place. And it was done publicly in full view of everyone. And it was just awful. This repeats the same theme. Now, I don't quite get this. I mean, the AFL-CIO has been an par important partner with the Democratic Party. But you kind of cut off your nose to spite your face if you say we're not going to give you any money because we aren't invited to caucuses. Normally, caucuses are for members. But then when you talk about we didn't get to help make decisions, well, you know, legislators kind of make decisions. Um, they take input from people as they should. If you're doing it right, you should take input from a lot of different people to think about different sides of an issue. Um, but this seems to be a very odd way to try to make sure that you have a voice within a group that typically has been supportive of yours. And it wouldn't surprise me that some uh, larger businesses in Colorado would fill at least a little bit of the void because they're going to play both sides. Whoever's in power gets their support when it comes to some businesses. So I don't know if this is going to be a really strong play for unions because I don't know if the Democratic Party is going to miss their funding. But I could be mistaken. What do you think? What they're going to miss more than their funding, and, and I'll say that's if they withhold the funding, um, is going to be their door-to-door -door knocking. Uh, that is where the unions have been the strongest. They get people out. They uh, they have kind of this, this army of people walking around in, in, in critical swing districts. Um, I, it is interesting to me the timing of this, saying we're not going to give until May 2022. Well, that, that to me implies two things. We want to see what you do in the 2022 session. So this is almost like a very public reckoning. You will do the following things, except they haven't said exactly what they want, which is also interesting because there was not a lot of rumblings that unions were discontented during the 2021 session. Um, it didn't seem like there was a lot that people said, oh, unions want this, and, and they didn't get. So uh, I'm curious what they'll be asking for. I don't know if this is another attempt to change the Labor Peace Act or what. Um, but the second thing about that is, well, if we get what we want, boom, we're right back at it, right before the primaries, right before the big statewide elections. So um, I, I, think, I think we will tell uh, in the next session exactly how much this message has been received. Pat, Patty, do you think there's really a... a shot that the union would sit out for a a significant amount of time on this situation? Well, it's an easy thing to threaten right now since we're not quite up to the big fundraising part for the election. It seems to me a fairly idle threat because it's not like they're going to go give their money to the Republicans. So <clears throat> the Democrats might be down some funding. People will step up in other ways. But the, the unions are not going to be supporting someone else. So I think they will have to drag back and they will get maybe a few concessions. Eric, it feels like a fight that uh, the public shouldn't be seeing but gets a glimpse of and will probably go right back behind closed doors. How do you think it's all going to turn out? I was surprised to see it, but then on the other hand, I wasn't surprised to see it. Uh, I'm going to preview my column and tease my column that runs this weekend, actually, and I uh, hope people will go read it. 
and it was written before this news broke, but it was really significantly about the tenor of the state capitol, more so than the substance of what is going on at the state capitol. To Ed's point that union interests, there weren't that many agenda items they didn't get, I don't think it's about specific agenda items. I think there is a sense that this legislative leadership, and particularly this governor, and I put a significant amount of this onus on the governor, he has a very different style. Personally, he self-funds. He doesn't need to go ask for money. That doesn't mean others in the party don't. Um, he is not the world's most collegial human being, we will put it, to put it kindly and mildly. Uh, his slogan, I proposed in my column, that his re-election slogan could be my way or the highway, and that's not referenced in the new transportation package. Uh, so I think this is a reaction on the part of labor to feeling that there is this Denver-Boulder very liberal, very environmentally sensitive, very green access that is calling all the shots. They're excluded. And if they are feeling alienated, you have no idea how alienated the business community feels uh, around the Capitol these days. Let's get a quick take on this last one. Last week, a federal judge ruled DACA unlawful, impacting over 14,000 Colorado DACA applicants. Uh, the, uh, what it, the ruling makes it so that while DACA applications can be accepted, they can't be approved. Current DACA holders should not be impacted. Uh, Ed, we start with you on this quick take. Uh, is this going to be a big deal in Colorado? I don't know exactly. I think the ruling leaves it open for it to not be a big deal. I think the big deal here is that people have got to pay attention to the idea that you cannot govern by executive order. Trump executive orders are being thrown out. Obama executive orders are being thrown out. And I think this has got to send a message that we've got to stop governing that way and actually get our Congress to pass laws again. Patty, does this put the uh, issue back in the spotlight for Colorado politics? Well, certainly the DACA people who've applied here are feeling pressure. And look at the people who were granted DACA under that executive order before, the people who are really contributing to this state, um, some of the food trucks, people who've moved into restaurants now. You see what it's meant to them to know they will be able to stay here. And so you hope we work it out. But like like homelessness, really, immigration. Those are two of the biggest issues that aren't going to be solved in Denver, Colorado. They're going to be solved nationally. Good point. Eric, do you see this making an impact in Colorado when it comes to this kind of issue? Sure. The uncertainty has its own impact. We're talking about over 18 going on 19,000 Coloradans, not an insignificant number here. These are people who've lived in uncertain conditions their entire life. They were they are DACA recipients, largely because they were brought here through no fault of, the, fault of their own. They were uh, you know, brought here by mom and dad or aunt and uncle or grandma and grandpa. Uh, these are not people for, with whom culpability lies. They deserve a permanent solution. And ditto to Ed's point uh, that uh, you can't do this by executive order. At some point, Congress has to come together and do something rational here. Penn, wrap it up for us. You know, I think for I agree with much of what's been said around the table. Congress needs to address this issue. Ed's right. Sometimes the form in which you get things done matters more than the substance. And the unfortunate reality here is DACA, I think, is really a policy supported by the majority of people in the country. Congress needs to figure out a way to legislate it so that it isn't being whipsawed back and forth by competing executive orders over time. Time for a very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. I think this might be my most frequent disgrace this side of Ward Churchill. Mother Nature 
this week in Colorado, you have the fires, you have the floods, you have the mudslides, things that are fatal, that are seem the drought that is ongoing. It is just a really, really tough time all across the West. And my one piece of advice is even if your spouse is a DA, do not go light unattended fires. Here, here, oh. Eric. Brutal. Uh, I'm going to go back to the vaccine issue, but a different particular take. Uh, the White House Press Secretary, Jen Psaki, acting obviously on the President's behalf, acknowledged that the White House and federal agencies are really cooperating with Facebook and other social media countries to weed out uh, quote-unquote misinformation. No one wants misinformation. God knows no one wants misinformation about vaccines. But the First Amendment means something, and there is a dangerous risk to getting the federal government and the epicenter of the federal government, the White House, involved in deciding what constitutes information versus misinformation. This is a slippery slope, and we should not head it down it, and the Biden administration should know better. Yeah, I don't want any White House deciding what the First Amendment means. Uh, Penn. You know, just as the city acknowledged that it was incompetent to manage the debacle that was the Great Hall um, development at DIA, it ought to acknowledge that trying to put together a head of urban design this late in the administration is just an accident waiting to happen. Ed. Uh, the conviction one week ago of Mark Redwine for killing his son uh, was badly needed, especially for all those who are parents and care about these things. But there needs to be more questions asked about why he was killed on a court ordered visit against the son's wishes and the mother's wishes. And we should do an investigation to find out why that was ordered and whether somebody should be held accountable. You're here. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty. The return of cultural institutions like the main branch of the Denver Public Library. And this weekend, City Park Jazz, which is going to honor Elcha Pultepec and Freddie Rodriguez Sr., who passed away early on from COVID. That should be a great event. Eric. Speaking of the First Amendment, I'm going to say something nice about the person sitting right next to me, Ms. Calhoun here. Uh, this should be obvious, but to too many, it's not obvious. The investigators into the whole Tay Anderson mess uh, around the Denver School Board reached out to Westward, among other publications, wanting to know their sources of particular information. Obviously, Patty, as the head of Westward, said, uh, no thank you, or thanks but no thanks, or go pound sand, or whatever the essence of the conversation was. But uh, you don't reveal your sources, and this investigative firm that's being paid very nicely by DPS should have known better. Ben. Uh, a Denver native who's a graduate of George Washington High School and CU Law School is getting one of the highest honors. Uh, retired Judge Gary Jackson is being inducted into the Hall of Fame of the NBA, the National Bar Association, which is the Bar Association of African American Lawyers uh, around the country. A well-deserved honor. You're here. Ed. Some three dozen Coloradans will represent the state at the Olympics the next two weeks, but zero shoes of Broomfield will also be there as it's the official shoe of the artistic swimming and archery teams. Take a look and see how they grow with this. <laughs> the official shoe of the archery team. Man, that is cool. I love the Olympics. I love the Olympics. Uh, I will join in to say something nice. It's a fun birthday week. My uh, sister-in-law Corinne's birthday was uh, yesterday. So happy birthday, Corinne. And my dad's birthday is next Tuesday. Happy birthday, Dad, from favorite kid. Don't worry. Joseph, only wa Joseph and Gina watch the show very rarely, so that's good. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for watching. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.